Hey there, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. This is episode 89. Joined this week by Brandon Pope, who's the host of On the Block, which is Block Club Chicago's TV show on the UNCW 26. Brandon, how you doing, my man? Feeling good, man. Good to be with you as always. It's always a great time. I mean, I'm with you on TV all the time, but in a podcast format? Little chill, little relaxed. On TV, you're the host, and I'm the sidekick. Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Feels good. I'll be the Robin anytime. <laughs> Can you tell people for th- that maybe have not checked out the show what the vibe of the show is? I mean, it's very much like Block Club. Absolutely. I think it's really cool what we do. I mean, it's unlike anything on TV in the market. Uh, on the Block is a hyper-local news program, a magazine TV program that really dives into neighborhood storytelling, just like Block Club does, and brings it to a visual format. I love how we integrate the reporters from Block Club through the selfie-style reports, great visualizations, maps, and we just break down issues, have great conversations, and have a little fun in the process, too. I think it's 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 a re- really unique show. People learn something new, I'm, I hope, every episode. Um, and it, it's, it's a great thing to be a part of. So I hope people can check it out if they haven't already. And if you do, hey, thanks for watching. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I For those that don't know, it's Thursdays on The U at 7 o'clock. It is Saturdays at 10, 10 o'clock on CW26 in the morning. And Sunday afternoons, early evenings. I never know what 6.30 is. Is that the afternoon or the evening? That's evening. That's uh, evening, yeah. Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. on CW26. I'll say that again at the end or part of the show. You can go to CW26Chicago.com for all the station listings. Okay, you talk about diving into issues deep, and we're going to play one of the great stories that you did about house music and its roots in Chicago. Before we play it, Brandon, I just wanted to ask, like, why did this story kind of percolate in your brain? You know, so during the time Drake had released a house music album that many said was not good house music, and Beyonce also was coming up with her own house music stuff going on, and I've always known Chicago to be the home of house music, but never really knew the history as much behind it, um, being a newer person to Chicago. So I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to dive in because I heard so many complaints from people about when Drake dropped his uh, Honestly Nevermind album that it just didn't feel like good house music. It felt soulless and un-Chicago. Whereas Beyonce's people re- responded great to that. I just was curious, what is that Chicago sound? What makes house music uniquely a Chicago thing? Let's find out. It's a combination of disco, of funk, of blues, of electronica, sometimes with soulful music, sometimes not, with the four on the floor drum beat that everyone talks about. There's a four count beat, so one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And that's primarily what you hear in house music. It's this idea that the bass is hitting at every beat. And then sprinkle a little bit of sultry, sexy uh, male or female vocals on top. No, it wasn't created in the Netherlands or in the UK. It comes from Chicago. These were the people who made it. There's uh, no denying that Chicago is the home of house music. In festivals, cookouts, and kickbacks around the world, you can hear the signature sound of a cultural phenomenon. House music. Pilsen DJ Mo Mommy says you can trace house music's origins back to disco's decline. 
I mean, in 1979, we had the disco demolition night at the White Sox Stadium, which was when all these people were like, disco is dead, and we don't like disco, and you know, we're bring your disco records and we're gonna burn them. As disco began to die out around the country, historian Lauren Lowry says black queer artists and DJs in Chicago flipped it, using disco as a source of inspiration to create a new sound. What we did is we brought it in Chicago underground, and then we mixed it with you know the different music forms and of course electronica. House music historian Micah Salkine says this new sound became the music of the marginalized. At its core, it was made for and by black queer Chicagoans. And, and so probably mostly black, black gay men, um, some lesbians, people who identified all across the spectrum. And then from that core group of listeners, it inspired a group of teenage music entrepreneurs, many of whom were straight actually, and were kind of ensconced in this parochial school party culture. House music was very radical. It was a space for, I think, black LGBTQ communities to come together and experience joy. <laughs> to this day, house music is very much associated with queer dance spaces and queer communities coming together. That fusion of cultures happened right here at this building in West Town, the warehouse on Jefferson. In the late 70s, it was the mecca of house music and its growing fan base. You know, the warehouse is often associated with the coining of the name house music. Arguably, what is or isn't a genre that we call house music today um, happens because the warehouse is the place where the most adventurous gay, black, and Latino music aficionados are coming to party in the after hours after they go out to discos and to house parties and stuff in the mid to late 70s and early 1980s. It's the number one you know, location for the origin of the music form. People decided at the record stores, people came in and said, where's that music? that they played at the warehouse. And I think it started to evolve into what people considered then house music. And you begin to feel the thump, thump, thump of the four on the floor beats that were pumped out by this awesome sound system. Kevin Mega McFall, the first ever publicist for house music artists, was a regular at the legendary dance club growing up. You had high schoolers coming of age and wanting to not necessarily rebel, but certainly explore and, and, and discover. Every weekend, the warehouse hosted dance parties overseen by a man who would later be considered a legend of the genre, Frankie Knuckles. Frankie Knuckles is an artist and a creative that brought sounds from New York, brought the sounds from Chicago, brought the sounds of electronica from Europe and mixed them together in such a way that made the warehouse a unique institution. It starts here in basements in the city of Chicago. It becomes a global phenomenon probably within five years of on and on being put on a disc. Now, house music is global, and major music superstars like Beyonce, Drake, and Bad Bunny have put their own stamp on it. If you're from Chicago, house music never went anywhere. It never really stopped being the soundscape of the streets, the parties, the backyard parties, the underground parties, the raves, the warehouses. It never really went anywhere. But it is really cool to see this fascination and appreciation growing once again.
That was awesome, Brandon. You know, what I like about it is I kind of knew a little of the history of the queer community and disco, right? Like that's been well kind of documented, but I never quite connected the dots to house music and how that kind of translated. And uh, it's always cool to learn something new about your community you didn't know before. You know, that light bulb went off in my head when they told me house music started at the warehouse. <laughs> like, oh, that's where house music comes from, an actual house. Right. Makes sense. Oh, wait, I, that just connected for me. And I've seen your story a bunch of times. Sorry, Brandon. I mean, well, yeah, it, it could... I've listened to house music for years, and it just connected for me. So I just think it's really cool to have those origins. People have such a deep relationship to house music here in this city. They grew up with it, right? Many of them went to the warehouse, and so it brings to them memories, nostalgia of warmth, of love, of coming together, and just being able to be unapologetically yourself, no matter what your sexual orientation is, what your race is, whatever. It just drops all barriers and labels, and that's beautiful. It's something worth celebrating, so I'm glad we could honor that history, and I hope that music artists today who want to dive into house music, like a Beyonce, like a Drake, Still understand, hey, hey, it's Chicago. You got to honor that. You got to show some love to it. I think Beyonce did a great job. She got some Chicago artists to help her with that. But, um, you know, you want to make sure you respect where it came from. What are we going to see on the block here this weekend? On the block this weekend is going to be pretty awesome. We're going to dive into what's going on with CTA President Dorval Carter. Um, he has not used the CTA really a lot in two years, about what? 12 times in two years, maybe less than that. That's so weird, by the way. It is. I mean, part of me is kind of like, why does that matter? But I kind of get it. We, I talked to a guy on the street who was like, that's like a guy owning a McDonald's and never having McDonald's in his life. And I'm like, okay, I understand what you're talking about. At least go to like the entry of the blue line and ring that venture card <laughs> and then walk away because you know we're going to pull those records. Right. Just, to, just to at least have, so we have a track record of some sort. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to dive into the Silver Room Block Party. It's a it's a major thing, been a staple in the black community in Chicago for so long. This is the final one, probably ever. Um, that's a big deal. So Eric Williams, the guy who's been funding this himself, he owns the Silver Room Shop in Hyde Park. We're going to have him in studio. I'm going to ask him straight up, why? What's going on here? What's the story behind this? Because there's been a lot of rumors, speculation, and also what to expect there. Um, and also just the signature great neighborhood stories about the LGBTQ community, about the black community, the South, the West, the North. Everybody's going to get covered. And I'm looking forward to it, man. Brandon did not tease my story, by the way. <laughs> well, do you remember what it, I'm doing? I do. I do. We're talking about Lower Wacker, a place I try to avoid at all costs because that is where GPSs go to die, as you say. say. So uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion on that as well, because Lower Wacker has an interesting history that's really layered in Chicago history and the way the city was built itself, I just think is fascinating. So I'm excited to dive into that. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I have a conversation with the professor about that. And then I've got the, the, the absolute best 90 seconds on how to navigate Lower Wacker Drive, because some people get so lost down there. So you're going to see it in like a cool graphical format. I could use that, even though I think I, I think I get Lower Wacker. Having navigated enough Uber drivers through it myself who get lost, 
I think I'm an expert now. All right, cool. Thursday night, 7 p.m. on the U. Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. on CW26. And Sunday nights, 6.30 p.m. also on CW26. If that sounded like a bunch of gibberish, go to CW26Chicago.com. We got a station guide there. Hey, we're also on the radio, too, on the Bob Surratt Morning Show, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays on 720 WGN. Here's a recent appearance from Seamus Toomey. Seamus, good morning. Let's uh, start by talking about uh, the measure designed to protect vintage signs and murals across Chicago. It looks like it may become a law, huh? Hey, Bob, yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, there was a, a key committee uh, of the city yesterday uh, voted on this. Um, yeah, they're basically they're trying to protect signs that have been up, say, long enough to be really iconic parts of the neighborhood, but but not, not long enough uh, to be landmarks specifically. Um, this started with the furniture factory in the Logan Square neighborhood. Uh, they have this uh, uh, giant sign up, Grace's Furniture, uh, right there on Milwaukee Avenue. And the, the, the uh, people that bought the building weren't able to uh, preserve the sign at this point because all the permits had expired for it. Um, so the city is just trying to clear this up where it'll be easier to transfer these signs so they won't have to be taken down just because because uh, the permits weren't grandfathered in. So good news just for those uh, kind of those uh, cool parts that you don't really think about until they're gone. And you're like, whatever happened to that uh, 40-foot <laughs> sign <laughs> that, that used to mark my, you know, told me where to turn left? Yeah, exactly. And, and what about that uh, Bucktown music venue? What's happening with that? Yes, there's a, um, uh, there's a spot. It used to be a, a club called Concrete uh, in the sort of the industrial section of Bucktown east of the expressway. Um, we're talking about over roughly near this, where the salt shed and the hideout are. Um, there is a plan now in the works to turn it uh, back into a music club. It'd be a thousand person capacity, so pretty large one. Uh, this is at 1617 North Elston, and the, the plans on the books were to call it the outset. Um, so the city's going through the applications right now to see if they'll approve it. Uh, the guy that uh, wants to build it owns the uh, Concord Music Hall in Logan Square and Radius and Pilsen. So he's got some, he's got a track record of running clubs around town. So could be more music uh, coming to that, uh, to the hideout area. Yeah, a lot of music could be coming from that area very soon. Uh, this is, this is interesting. There's some new numbers now on uh, <laughs> how often CTA executives uh, travel on city trains and buses, and I guess uh, the answer is not very, huh? <laughs> right. This is, uh, yes, uh, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of the CTA uh, in the past couple years for, for ghost trains and buses uh, not, not showing up on time. Um, Dorval Carter, the CTA president, he's been in the hot seat for a while. He had, had skipped a city hall meeting where they, they wanted to call him on the carpet for the performance, so uh, they've been criticizing him. Him, uh, we decided to take a look at some of the uh, how often some of these executives from the CTA actually use the trains they manage. You know, they use the venture cards uh, that are given to them by the city, so that's all public record. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't looking very good for uh, for about eight of the top leaders. Uh, uh, Carter had used his card about twelve times over the past two years. Um, there was a chief of staff to the agency that hadn't used hers in a, in a couple years. Um, well, some 
some of them uh, do use it a, a lot, but a lot of the, the, the top bosses, you know, take it maybe uh, a couple times a year or so. So, you know, the, the people that are critical of the CTA will say, listen, if you're going to tell people how to run an agency, you should at least know what's happening on board. Um, you know, suffer with the rest of us, they say. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Find out what the real story is, what's going on. So there's now pressure on uh, the CTA boss, uh, Carter, to, to go. Right. Well, you, there, there's a handful of, of aldermen that are really saying, like, if if you're running the CTA, you should be riding it, and maybe it's time for uh, for, for Carter to move on. Mm-hmm. Carter's been there since uh, since the Lightfoot administration as well, and and uh, it's just uh, it's been a tough time for the CTA. Uh, they're rebuilding large chunks of it too, but just with uh, uh, crime and public safety issues on it, it's really you know it's it's really been a conversation piece for a lot of Chicagoans about whether they want to even take the train, and and when they hear that some of these bosses that are making the decisions are aren't on there with them, uh, it, you know, you can see how it gets under their skin. Sure. Let's talk about Cards Against Humanity. That's the company famous for humorous uh, card games. They are getting into the film industry, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, Cards Against Humanity uh, is a Chicago-based company. They've got they've got offices uh, actually not far from where we're talking about for that uh, that new music club. Um, they uh, they're now they're starting a, a short film festival, um, and they they want to get people to send in movies, uh, films between four and 40 minutes. Um, they're they're going to have a festival in September. And one part that jumped out at me uh, is that the grand prize for this festival is $100,000, um, which they say is more than <laughs> Sundance and, uh, wow. and uh, other film festivals combined. So, um, you know, as uh, only the Cards Against Humanity PR people said, um, that's almost enough money to pay off your student loan debt from film school. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're having fun. They just want to give, they said they want to give young uh, filmmakers in town uh, an opportunity just to, to showcase their, their town a little bit. There's going to be $10,000 grand prizes, too. So uh, they've got a couple weeks um, till, um, actually another week until uh, to get these submissions in. So there's more information at blockclubchicago.org. If you've been working on a film, and you want to give it a shot and maybe get some dough from Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, good luck. Finally, uh, this is good news for the South Side, thanks to Jeff Bezos. Well, yeah, we've been talking uh, for over the years about this Englewood Nature Trail, which would be a version of the, uh, like, sort of the 606, but it would be running uh, through Englewood. Uh, this is behind um, 58th and 59th Streets, but between Wallace and Hoyne. Um, they need about 75 million bucks to really get this off the ground, so to speak. Um, this is an elevated uh, uh, former rail line they want to turn into a park. Um, Jeff Bezos has got a, a fund. It's called the, uh, the the Earth Fund, and it's got some greening America's, uh, America's cities money in there. Uh, yesterday, they uh, granted $3.8 million to this project. So they're getting closer. They're not at 72 million, but they say they're probably far enough now to do all the studies and get the work rolling as they work for uh, to find other funding. Uh, the state, the federal government, and a couple other philanthropic groups have actually uh, donated money, too. So uh, if I was a, a gambling man, I'd say they would maybe break ground on this in the next couple years. And, uh, you know, just really a cool amenity in, in, in any neighborhood. Uh, Bronzeville's got one on the books, too, and Pilsen has one, too. So mm-hmm. uh, just destination places for for the residents to uh, you know stretch their legs ride their bikes nice and, and for outsiders to come and check out a little bit of the neighborhood why not Seamus Toomey thank you talk to you tomorrow 
Thanks, Bob. And that'll do it for It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast. We will drop another one on you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Oh, and watch On the Block. Go to CW26Chicago.com for more information about where you can watch it and see previous episodes. Take care, everyone.